I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. Our call to worship is from Psalm 71, verses 8 through 14. Psalm 71, starting at verse 8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have promised to hold us in your mighty right hand. You are our fortress, our rock, our ever-present help in trouble. Father, we thank you that you are all-powerful. Father, we pray that you would enable us to give you all thanks, praise, glory, and honor, now and forevermore. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to sing with me. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer. We praise you, God, our Redeemer, Creator, in grateful devotion our tribute we we lay it before you, we kneel and adore you, we bless your holy name, glad praises we sing. We worship you, God of our fathers, we bless you life, storm, and tempest, our guide you have been. When perils overtake us, escape, you make us, and with your help, O Lord, our battles we win. With voices united, our praises we offer to you, great Jehovah, glad anthems we raise. Your strong arm will guide us, our God is beside us, to you, our great Redeemer, forever we
I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6, and uh, this reading from John chapter 6 is not only in preparation for our prayer of repentance and pronouncement of pardon, but also in preparation for our next time of communion. We are planning to have the Lord's Supper next Sunday, so this is part of our preparations of heart and mind for that time. So I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6. I'm going to be reading verses 26 through 29, then verses 51 through 58. John chapter 6, starting at verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. I'm moving down to verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, and whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you again for the reminder in your word that Jesus Christ is our everything. That your Son, Jesus Christ, is our Redeemer. He is the atoning sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world. He is your spotless, without blemish, sin-free lamb. Father, we thank you that he came, he gave his body, he gave his blood. He did this willingly so that we could be made right with him. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit has made us alive and 
given us the gifts of repentance and faith so that we can eat of Jesus' flesh and drink of His blood, meaning that we can believe and trust in His death for us, His eternal life, His resurrection, and our eternal life in Him. Father, we pray that You would continue to give us the ever-growing hunger and desire for Your Son, Jesus Christ, for Your Word, for the Gospel. Father, we confess to you. We confess to you that there are still times where we seek through foolishness and deception. We seek food that we think will be more nourishing or fulfilling than that of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we confess to you those idols that remain around us and those areas, those sins we clean too closely to. Father, we pray that you will help us to understand all the more that these sins do nothing but kill, steal, and destroy. But your Son, Jesus Christ, gives life and life in full abundance. So, Father, we take this time to confess to you those sins of thought, word, and action that we confess. Know this. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit has made you alive and given you the gifts of repentance and faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, His crucifixion for your reconciliation with God. Know this. You are forgiven. You are dearly loved. And God is working for good and His glory all things in your life. So, Father, we pray that you will help us through this coming week as we prepare our hearts and minds for next Sunday's communion. Father, we pray that you'll help us to have a greater understanding of what it means to feed on Jesus, to abide in Him as He abides in us, to hunger and thirst for Him more than anything, knowing your love and your grace. In Christ's glorious name, amen. As we are continuing to do during this time, we just leave the plates in the back for a time of offering if people desire on your way out of the church. As we enter into our time of congregational prayer, I'd like to ask if there are any prayer requests, praises you'd like us to lift up now and through this coming week. Yes, sir.
what was their the name again? A B A B. Yes, we'll pray for comfort and, and guidance. Pardon? Okay, yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Any other requests? And let's go, Lord, and pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come before you. We thank you that because you have given us full assurance of the reconciliation we have with you through the crucifixion of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that with this full assurance that his blood has washed us clean, that his death has paid the full penalty of the wages of our sin. That His death has satisfied Your just holy wrath on behalf of the elect. Father, we are amazed by Your grace. We are amazed by Your love and Your goodness to us. So merciful. So caring. So powerful. So close. Father, we thank You. We pray that you would enable us just to have our hearts and minds fixed on the things above, not on the things below. Father, we pray that you would enable our eyes to be fixed on your Son, Jesus Christ, for our life is hidden with him. And at his return, by your grace, we will partake in his glory. So, Father, how wonderful, how marvelous. So, Father, we pray that you continue to give us a growing hunger and desire for the return of your Son, Jesus Christ, for all to be made well. Father, as 
as is depicted in Revelation, even the martyrs, the saints under the throne, cry out, How long, O Lord? So, Father, we look to You. We pray that You'll grow us in the fruit of the Spirit as You continue to sanctify us. Father, we pray that You'll grow us in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, we pray that You'd continue to enable us to guard us in the faith that we would live more and more according to the Spirit and less and less according to our old fallen flesh. Father, we pray that You would remind us what it means that we have been crucified with Your Son, Jesus Christ. Remind us, O Lord, of what it means that we have been buried with Jesus Christ, that we have died with Him. And just as He has been raised to new life, we too will be raised to everlasting everlasting life. Father, we pray that You'll just help us to have our hearts and minds ever fixed on Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You that we are never alone, that Your Son, Jesus Christ, intercedes on our behalf, that the Holy Spirit grows at interceding on our behalf. Father, we thank You for those brothers and sisters in Christ who continue to intercede and lift each and every one of us up. Father, how glorious and wonderful it is to be a part of the body of Your Son, Jesus Christ, with Him as the head. Father, we pray that You would continue to grow us in love for You and love for one another. Father, we pray for unity, that You would unite us of heart and mind, that we would strive side by side for the Gospel of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that You would help us to love one another in a sacrificial, life-giving way. To build each other up. To spur each other on. That we would grow in the likeness of Your Son, Jesus Christ, more and more. Father, we thank You. We thank You for all the ways that You so bless and guide and work in our lives. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. Those right now as we gather facing persecution and opposition, facing imprisonment and torment, facing martyrdom because of their belief and love of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that You would just comfort them, help them to know Your peace, your strength, the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, the intercession of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help them to know, Lord, that they are not alone. Father, we lift them up to you. Father, we pray that you would help us to do all that we can to encourage, support, and lift them up. Oh, Father, we pray for those missionaries and evangelists throughout the world. We pray that You would continue to watch them, comfort them, strengthen them, guide them, help their eyes to be ever focused on Jesus, Your Word in their hearts and minds. Lead them and guide them, Lord. 
Father, we pray for the church here in the United States. Oh, Father, we pray that your light would shine, that the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, would be high and lifted up. Jesus on the tree, the one who bore the curse so that those who believe in him could have blessing in life. So, Father, we pray that your gospel would go forward. Father, we pray for those who are in positions of power and authority throughout the world. We pray for those who are in positions of power and authority here within the United States of America. Father, we do pray for our president and his administration. We pray for our governor. We pray for those who are in positions of power here in Bremerton and Paulsbo and Silverdale throughout this region. Father, we pray that you would lead them and guide them according to your truth, according to your word, that they would give you glory and honor in what they do. Father, we pray for peace where there is so much ongoing turmoil and pain and conflict and suffering. Father, we pray for the peace that can only be found in your Son, Jesus Christ. The reconciliation that can only be found in your Son, Jesus Christ. The unity that can only be found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for those who continue to to face the the struggles and insecurities and and the pains and and the torment of the ongoing pandemic within our nation, within our world. Father, we just pray that that you would direct eyes to your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would lead and guide, and that your truth would be lifted up in all these things. Father, we do pray for, for those within our congregation who are in times of difficulty and pain. Father, we pray for Lola's family. Father, we pray for the family of friends of Michelle who passed. Oh, Father, we pray that in the midst of this grief and pain and loss, that Your love, Your Son, Your truth would bring comfort and hope. Father, we just lift them up to You now in this difficult time of grief. Father, we are so grateful to hear that Nell was able to communicate again with Elaine. Father, we rejoice in that. We pray that you would just be her comfort and peace, that you would guide her in this time. Oh, Father, we pray that you would comfort Grace and Doug and Elaine. Father, we pray that you would be with Grace as as she received test results that were concerning Father, we pray that you would just continue to well up in her heart and mind your word, your truth, your promises, that you would grow her in the faith through this time. We pray for your healing, comfort, and strength. Father, we pray for Doug. He also received concerning test results, concerning his ongoing cancer. Oh, Father, we pray that you would just continue to be his hope, his comfort, his peace. We pray again, Lord, for those verses at the beginning of this, that that he memorized, Father, we pray that they would just resound in his heart and mind of your care, your strength, your sovereignty, and that he can have his comfort and peace in you throughout this time. 
We pray for healing, comfort, and strength. Father, we pray for Elaine. As this is so difficult and so painful for a mother who watched her husband go through this in nine and a half years and now watching his son go through, Father, we pray that you would be her strength and peace. Continue to well up within her heart and mind your word and your truth, your love and your care. Father, we pray that you would just fix her eyes on your son. Father, we pray for for Ron. We pray for this procedure this coming Friday. We're so thankful, Lord, for the care that he's received. Father, we pray that you would just guide and work through all those who are providing care. Father, we just pray for healing and comfort and strength. Just continue to watch over him throughout this time. Father, we do pray for Anchor of Hope. We pray for our leadership. Father, we pray that you would continue to strengthen and guide us, grow us in your love and your truth. Father, we pray that you would just help us. Help us, Lord, to know those opportunities that you provide to lift up your gospel to the lost. Father, we pray for the lost. Family members, friends, co-workers, people we interact with who do not know you. Oh, Father, only you can bring the dead to life. Only you could call Lazarus from the tomb. So, Father, we pray, according to your will and your ways, that you would call their name and make them alive. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have made us alive. And you have given us a peace that passes understanding and a joy unspeakable. It is in this joy and in this peace and in this love for you that we say the prayer that our Savior taught to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite you to rise and sing with me. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art. Thank you. 
So, Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us in your truth at this time. For your truth sets us free. In Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we're working our way through Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6, I want to, we are focusing in on verses 3 through 4, but I want to read verses 1 through 7. This is this full section. So the full section is verses 1 through 7. So last week we looked at verses 1 and 2, and uh, this morning, Lord willing, we'll be looking at 3 and 4. But just to set the context of this full section, I want to read verses 1 through 7. I invite you to uh, turn and follow along with me there. Isaiah 49, starting at verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He hid me like a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. Verse 3. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nation, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and His Holy One. It's the key title of verses 1-7. To one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy one of Israel who has chosen you. Those are verses 1 through 7. This is this, this section that we're focused in on. And as I said last week, this is considered the second servant song in Isaiah. Isaiah has these five servant songs. 
Now, the word servant is used again and again and again throughout this letter of prophecy of Isaiah. And there are times where servant is used for the corporate people of Israel the north and Judah of the south as his people, the descendants of Abraham according to the flesh, as his servant. Because what was the purpose of these descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? What was their purpose? To give him all glory. To serve him, to obey him, to worship him, and give him glory so that all the nations would see this one true God high and lifted up. How did they do? Failure. This is a disaster. What happened to Israel to the north? What did Isaiah make clear? Assyria was going to come. Bam! Destroy them. Nothing left. What was going to happen to Judah in the south? Babylon was going to come, destroy the cities, tear down the walls, destroy the temple, and the few that may, remained alive, they were going to drag with hooks in their noses back to Babylon. That was God's judgment on His servant, His people, Israel to the north, and Jacob to the south. Well, who else is referred to as servant in the book of Isaiah? Well, also we hear of this remnant. Remember, God is going to save, he's promised a remnant of Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and he's going to save a remnant of all tribes, nations, and languages. And they are referred to as the servant of him that because he is graciously going to rescue and save them, that they will be his servant to give him glory, praise, and honor. We also hear of the king of Assyria, that wicked scoundrel, godless, God-hating commander, is God's servant to bring his wrath against Israel and God says that he even refers to the king of Babylon as his servant to do his purpose and his will. Yet, ultimately, what's going to happen to those servants? They are going to be judged because of their immorality and wickedness, and they're going to be cut down. So they're talked about as servants. So the word servant is used many, many times in Isaiah. It's used for all different groups of people because ultimately when you have an all-powerful, all-sovereign, holy, holy, holy God who creates everything that is created, what is the proper term of every aspect of his creation? A servant. You have one master, one Lord. So everyone ultimately is his servant in that regard. But yet in Isaiah, you have these five servant songs where it is very clear, especially from the New Testament, as the New Testament quotes from these songs and refers back to these songs 
that there are these five times in Isaiah where Isaiah prophesies and sings out these songs of the servant. And who is the servant? Jesus Christ. The eternally begotten Son of God. Who is going to take on flesh and obey every one of God's laws. Who is going to worship God perfectly, serve Him perfectly, live a perfect and holy life that He is the fulfillment of all all the covenants. And He's going to die on behalf of that remnant. So that they can serve God because they have been redeemed, forgiven, reconciled by the crucifixion of this servant. So that is what Isaiah is laying out. That is what Isaiah is laying out. So we know that when we look at these servant songs, like the one we're in Isaiah 49, this is not talking about the corporate physical descendants of Abraham. How do we know that? How did Isaiah begin? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4. This is how this book begins. Verse 4, all sinful nation. Who is he speaking this to? This is Jerusalem. This is Judea. These were the people of God. All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. For they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. There's that key term. We're going to keep seeing that this morning. This is the all-important term. Because ultimately these servant songs are pointing out that this one true servant is the Holy One of Israel. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. They, Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. So ultimately, God's people, his people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had received the covenants, the promises, the laws, the prophets, they fell short of God's glory. They did not do what they were called to do. So that's why Isaiah, and the first servant song was Isaiah 42. And we've already looked at that. But if you go back to Isaiah 42, here's the first servant song. Isaiah 49 is the second, but here's the first one. And you can see made clear in Isaiah 42 that this servant being spoken of in these servant songs cannot be just the physical descendants of Abraham. It cannot be the remnant. It cannot be any fallen human being. This has to be someone who is the holy one of Israel. Isaiah 42, verses 1-4. through four. Here's the first servant song in Isaiah. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth 
justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. How is it that we ultimately know that Isaiah 42, that this servant song, that this prophecy of this servant is ultimately speaking of and fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Because we have the New Testament. So if you look at Matthew chapter 12, here is the New Testament making absolutely crystal clear who this servant is in Isaiah. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Oh, who were the Pharisees? These were the most learned, most trusted, most respected, most authoritative religious leaders of the Jewish people. So whoever they are conspiring to destroy must be the most law-breaking, rebellious, disobedient, blasphemous, God-hating person that ever existed. And who is it they're conspiring against? Verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. And he ordered them not to make him known. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant. There's Isaiah 42 verses 1-3. That's what's being quoted. Jesus is this servant who is the perfect Holy One of Israel whom is going to be categorically rejected hated, and conspired against by his own people. So that's what we're looking at here in Isaiah 49, verses 3 and 4. Here in Isaiah 49, verses 3 and 4, we're seeing this prophecy that this servant, whom God will be glorified in, will be the most despised, hated, conspired against people known on the earth, known by creation. That the creatures will most rebel, hate, and despise unless God gives them a new heart. That's what's so powerful being stated in here. So again, Isaiah 49, verse 3, And he said to me, you are my servant in whom I will be glorified. Now there is another servant who is referred to at times in Isaiah. It is Isaiah, the prophet himself. 
But even the prophet Isaiah, when God manifests his calling and who he was in the temple, what did Isaiah say? Woe unto me. For I am a man of unclean lips representing an unclean people. Isaiah Isaiah understood his depravity and the rebellion of his heart and his need of a Savior. So the one being spoken of in these servant songs is one who is the Holy One of Israel. Holy, perfect, righteous, true, just. The fulfillment of all the promises, laws, covenants of God. So verse 3 again of Isaiah 49, And he said to me, You are my servant, in whom I will be glorified. Glorified. Now we understand this promise is given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God says this to Abraham in Genesis 12 verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You have this promise to Abraham and to his offspring that God would use them to be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. This is a part of God's covenant with Abraham. And when you get to Romans and Galatians, the Apostle Paul makes very clear who this offspring is that is the fulfillment of this servant, the fulfillment of the promises, covenants, law, and everything that is of God. And you see this in Romans, and you see this in Galatians. First, Romans, verse 4. Romans, verse 4, starting at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, remember God promised to bless them, promised them life, promised them his power, promised him that they would be a blessing. Romans 4.13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. So ultimately, this servant This fulfillment of all of God's promises, covenants, and law cannot be a mere human who in his own righteousness obeyed the law and was right with God through his obedience. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So no one can be saved by the law. All the law can remind you of is sin and guilt and condemnation if you are not saved. That's what we see in Romans 4. Romans chapter 10, verse 2. This is the Apostle Paul grieving for the the state of so many during his time rebellious, disobedient Jews who who were antagonistic and displaying hatred toward Christ. And, And this brought such grief to the Apostle Paul. Romans 10. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. That's the issue. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Because what does it mean to submit to God's righteousness? To submit to God's righteousness is to repent and have faith in Jesus Christ. To submit to God's righteousness is to say, I Woe to me! I have sinned. I have rebelled against God. All that I have earned industriously through my hard work of sinning is God's just condemnation and eternal conscious torment. That's repentance. What is your faith? That Jesus Christ on the cross paid the full penalty of your sin, satisfied God's just holy wrath, so rather than you receiving the just penalty of your sins, you would receive blessing and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. Because Jesus died in your place. Because Jesus experienced the full wrath of God in your place. Because you were justified by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So that's what it means to submit to God's righteousness. And that's what it says in Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So ultimately, verse 3 of Isaiah 49 And he said to me, you are my servant in whom I will be glorified. Ultimately, this glorification of this servant is that in this servant, all of God's holiness, God's justice, God's wrath, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, all the attributes of God are going to be put on their clearest, fullest display for his creation. And where does that happen? On the cross of Jesus Christ. You get the clearest display of all the attributes of God and who He is. His justice, His wrath, His love, His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy on full display. So that's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.16, he makes absolutely crystal clear. Who is this offspring of Abraham? Who is the ultimate holy one of Israel? Who is the servant of God? Who is the true manifestation of Israel and all that it is to represent? Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Here's your key verse. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offspring, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. There it is. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. Jesus is the promised one. Even in the fall, 
after Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned, and God pronounces curses on him, and he tells to Eve, the serpent will strike his heel, but he, this offspring, will crush his head. That offspring is Jesus Christ. When God makes promises to Abraham and his offspring, that his offspring will inherit the world, that his offspring will be a blessing to to every nation, that his offspring will glorify him. Who's the offspring? Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's making clear here. So ultimately, that's where we know when we come to these servant songs that describe this servant in such ways, we know that it can only be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He is the offspring. He is the servant. He is the Holy One of Israel. And that's what we're seeing again lifted up here in Isaiah 49. So again, verse 3, And he said to me, You are my servant, in whom I will be glorified. And that's the key word. Glorified. Well, the greatest area to see where Jesus is speaking, how he fulfills this, is John 17. So if you go to John 17, here is the high priestly prayer. Here's Jesus praying while he is still on earth, while he is still incarnate, he is here on earth. This is before his crucifixion, before his death. So this is during his ministry. He's heading to Jerusalem to be crucified. And this is his prayer, John 17. Because when we see in verse 3 of Isaiah 49, And he said to me, you are my servant in whom I will be glorified. What does that word mean and what does that look like? Well, again, thanks be to God for the New Testament. Here we see what that means and what that looks like. John 17, verse 1. Here's Jesus praying to the Heavenly Father. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, The hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. What is this hour coming? This means the hour where Jesus is going to be crucified, to die for sinners, to be the atoning sacrifice, to bear the sins of God's people, to drink the full cup of God's holy just wrath, against sinners. This is what Jesus is saying. The the hour has come. Now is my time. Verse 2. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Wow, what a servant. This servant, Jesus, is the eternally begotten Son of God. So before there was anything created or made, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, for eternity past. 
and they were in perfect, all-glorious, all-holy, all-loving union. One God, three persons. Again, verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. The Gospel of John is so absolutely crystal clear on the doctrines of grace and on election and on God's choosing and predestination. I mean, this is as absolutely clearly laid out as a person can have words lay something out. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they are, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Well, that's very important. Because in this prayer, Jesus is speaking of him glorifying the Father. That's what we're seeing in in Isaiah 49, verse 3. And he said to me, you are my servant in whom I will be glorified. Yet look at verse 4 of Isaiah 49. So first, here's the servant. He will glorify God. Verse 4, but. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Remember, that that's a very key word in the Bible. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's a good but. I once was blind, but now I see. That's good. That's a real blessing. What is this? And he said to me, you are my servant in whom I will be glorified. Verse 4, But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Oh. What a statement that is. Doesn't that just, oh, hit you? Doesn't that just reel you to the ground? So how is it that Jesus, as the Scriptures display, His face was set like flint that He was going to go to Jerusalem and die? Because He knew that regardless of the mocking, regardless of the shouts of crucify, regardless of the hatred, regardless of all that would come against Him, Jesus knew that the Father had given to Him people of every tribe, nation, language who would And He kept entrusting to God's sovereign and purpose. Where you see these words so graphic of verse 4, but I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, Where you see that so powerful, you see it in the garden. Remember the garden of Gethsemane? Where Jesus three times prayed in agony, sweating blood, intensity, and He's crying out, if there's any other way, but not my will, your will be done. But where do we see the parallel statement 
to verse 3, I mean verse 4 of Isaiah 49. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. And I would say, you see this cry of verse 46 of Matthew 27. My God, my God, why have you What's the context of that cry of Jesus on the cross? It's Matthew 27. If you go back up to verse 41. Remember those Pharisees we looked at in Matthew 12 who were conspiring? Well, it worked. Because it was a part of God's sovereign plan that Jesus would be crucified. So Matthew 27, verse 41. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, Jesus Christ. He saved others he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Verse 45 now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Complete pitch black darkness. Supernatural darkness. Verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Quoting from Isaiah 22 of the one who is going to be reviled and hated that dogs would snap at, that bulls would gore, and who would be crucified, pierced by the angry, hating mob. This is how the Gospel of John begins. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him. Oh, there's the key. Why were there some who received him? Because God gave them to the Son. God made them alive. That's what it says in verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. How were they born? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's what Jesus described in that prayer of being glorified. That's where His hope, that's where His eyes that's where his heart was fixed, that God would do what he promised. And that's how he kept his face set like flint to go to the cross. Because he knew that this was God's will and God would glorify in this. That's why Jesus on the cross didn't just say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Luke 23, 
record his last words. And what were his last words in Luke 23? Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So on the cross, you see Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You hear Jesus say, It is finished. And you hear Jesus say, Into your hands, O Father, your hands, your promises, your power, I commit my spirit. Jesus was entrusting himself to his Father on the That's what verse 4 describes of Isaiah 49. But I said I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet, surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. One of the reasons I, I used John 6 earlier is because at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus had tens of thousands of people chanting his name. Now it is true, most of them won the free lunch. Remember, that's, that's the context. But they chant his name all the same. It's the height of his popularity. Tens of thousands. Jesus! Jesus! Where's the food? Jesus! I mean, they are just chanting this and that. By the end of chapter 6, how many people? Twelve. Clearly. And even then, he says, do you guys want to go too? And Peter says, no, where else will we go? And Jesus says, I chose the 12 of you, and even one of you is the devil. That's how the chapter ends. How many people, after Jesus ascended, were in the upper room, were gathered, were, were still holding together in belief? A hundred and twenty. Through all those years of countless miracles and preaching and teaching, Acts makes it very clear. You look at Acts, it lays out that reality of how few. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about a hundred and twenty. Yet, Jesus understands that a grain of wheat must die and go into the ground to produce a harvest of righteousness. So Peter captures it well. This dynamic of Jesus coming and being forsaken by so many, being mocked, Yet, who is the Holy One of God, the faithful servant, the Israel of God, who is the Lord of Lords and Kings of Kings, who is the one who is the hope and Savior of all those who will be saved. Peter gives this beautiful summary of what we're looking at in verse 4. 1 Peter 2, chapter 21. For to those 
For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his steps. So here Peter is comforting and 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 building up these Christians who are facing persecution, opposition, losing their livelihoods, being martyred. This was a tough time of persecution. And he's saying, follow in Jesus' steps. What he's saying is follow in the steps of the servants of verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 49. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting, there's the word, himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. So just as Isaiah 49, 4 says, But I have said I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. Jesus continued entrusting himself to his heavenly Father, to the sovereign will of God knowing that God is faithful and He is true and His promises are holy and just and right. And God's way is perfect. You know what's always so amazing to me? One of Jesus' main evangelistic methods was to speak to those who were saying they wanted to follow Him And he said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to pick up your cross and follow. That's that's what these verses are talking about. That's what Peter's talking about in this. Because that's where Isaiah is building. Isaiah is building all of this. All these servant songs are building to Isaiah 53. That's what everything in Isaiah is building to is that high glorifying, lifting up reality of the gospel of God. And just as we see this verse 4, but I said I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, that's what we see being depicted in Revelation, I mean in Isaiah 53. If you look at Isaiah 53, you hear the parallel statements of these verses. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Speaking of Jesus, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's what Isaiah 49.4 is saying. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yes. 
surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And that's ultimately what Isaiah 53 says. Isaiah 53 verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11 of Isaiah 53. Out of the anguish of my soul, he shall see and be satisfied. That's what Jesus can trust Knowing that God's plan and purpose will give full glory to God the Father. God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And his knowledge shall, and by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So praise God that the same servant that on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? because he was drinking down the full cup of God's holy just wrath on behalf of the elect, because he was being crushed and paying the penalty of our sins, the same servant, the same Jesus Christ also cried out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, also cried out, it is finished, and also cried out, I can That's the servant of Isaiah 49, verses 1-7. That's the servant who is But isn't it as Jesus called to be about this work of entrusting in the midst of suffering? Remember Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. So what does Peter do? We saw what Peter did in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he talked about Jesus continually entrusting himself to the Father in the midst of the persecution, hatred, this and that. So what do you think Peter's going to do? He's going to use the same word and apply it to believers. 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust, same word, their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So this then becomes the call to each and every believer. No matter what pain, no matter what suffering, no matter what persecution, no matter what loss, no matter what what terror we face in this heaven and earth, we know that if God is for us, who could be against us? And we just keep entrusting our lives, our souls to our faithful Savior. Because we know He keeps His promises. He kept His promises to Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, scripturally it means you are in Jesus and His Spirit is in you. So the same God who has promised to Jesus has promised to you. Entrust your soul to your faithful God. Amen.
Father, we thank you. We thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, when he cried out in the garden, if there is any other way, that he said, not my will, your will be done. Father, we thank you that when your son, Jesus Christ, was, was dying on the cross, when he faced the taunts and mocking to get down off the cross, Father, we thank you that your son stayed on the cross to bear our sins, to satisfy your wrath. And Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is alive that He has been raised from the dead, that He is at Your right hand interceding on our behalf and that He is returning. Father, we pray that You would help us to keep entrusting our souls to You. Not our will be done. Your perfect, holy will always be done. In Christ's wonderful name, Amen. I invite you to please rise and sing with me. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, 
the strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. To him that overcometh a crown of life shall be. The King of glory shall reign eternally. Let's receive the benediction. Go from here, knowing your loving Heavenly Father, who so loved you that He sent His only begotten Son, Know Jesus Christ, the faithful servant of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit who has made you alive by God's grace and mercy and continues to enable you to pick up your cross and follow the Holy One. In Christ's name. I invite you to sing with me our closing song. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the